Welcome to the Dance Centre podcast. I am your host, Claire French, and I'm joining you from the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh peoples, also known as Vancouver, Canada. I'll be talking to dancers, choreographers and other members of the dance world here on the West Coast to find out more about their creative work and practices and to discuss what it means to us to be dance professionals today. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our monthly podcast. I'm delighted to be uh, inviting Naomi Brand and Harmony Rose of All Bodies Dance Project, two key members of the company, organization, institution, wonderful ideology. <laughs> they, the company is based in Vancouver, uh, also on the unceded Squamish Slaywatooth Musqueam territories. And we are absolutely delighted to have them with us today. Uh, they have a, a show coming up at the Dance Center in March, and we will be talking a little bit about that. But first, what I'd love to do is to bring Harmony and Naomi into the conversation right away and find out a little bit about their personal histories and journeys into dance before we talk about all bodies. So I'm going to hand it over and I would like to start with Harmony. If you could just tell us a little bit about uh, your your journey to here. <laughs> Thank you, Claire. Yeah, so my journey actually began, it began in Edmonton, um, which is Treaty 6 territory. It was after I had experienced so many different health problems. I'm going to say problems. I hesitated to use the word problems, but my body wasn't working the way it used to. I went from walking with a limp because I have spina bifida to losing that ability slowly, 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 walking with a leg brace to walking with a leg brace and cane to walking with crutches and a leg brace and then finally having a surgery on my spine. And after that surgery, I ended up in a wheelchair. And at that point, because I had heard so much about being in a chair was like the end of your life. And it was this message. I was like, everything's over. Absolutely. I don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I'm only 23. And I met a bunch of peers that also use manual wheelchairs. And they had an opportunity to work in work in a dance show for orchestras at the University of Alberta. And I was into it for the advocacy part of it because I'm always interested in trying to help people and push a narrative that means accessibility and honesty because I didn't even know it existed. And so once I learned and was so like embraced by the community, I was like all on board and everybody should know about it. But I wasn't really into dance. I was like, I'm going to hate it. It's going to be terrible, but I'm going to go do it anyways. And I walked in, I wheeled into the room rather, and everybody was so welcoming. And the very first instruction in the warm up was move in a way that felt good to you. And those instructions were the first time while using a chair that I actually moved in a way for myself. It wasn't to do a task or go to point A to point B or accomplish something. And something that transformed inside of me at that moment where that's what I wanted to do and wanted to explore. So I think that's where my dancing journey really began was that moment of realization in that dance studio when I could finally move in a way that felt good to me. And through my dancing journey, I discovered how to move better in a chair, what my body was. And I haven't really stopped learning about that. My body keeps changing. The way I move around keeps changing. But dance has always been the thing that's helped me together. And I'm always learning more. So I helped dance community in Edmonton develop an integrated dance program called I Dance Edmonton. And then from there, they changed their name to Cripsy, the collaborative radically Integrated Performer Society in Edmonton. Long name, I know. <laughs> and <laughs> I was really tired of snow, so I moved down to Vancouver, hoping that at some point, at some point, I would be able to find a dance community. But what do you know, Naomi, <laughs> who I already had met in Alberta because she was from Calgary, had just started a dance project called the All Bodies Dance Project. So. Almost a month later, I got involved in dance community and I haven't looked back. I was so welcomed and 
so appreciated with my own, they appreciated my own experiences. And I think Naomi and I have had moments where we've had growing pains, but we've really grown together um, as colleagues. And I've appreciated her mentorship throughout the years and her experience and ultimately her friendship. Amazing. So wonderful. I think that's a lovely segue. Naomi, take it away. (laughs) Well, my story into dance is maybe more typical. You know, I began dancing as as a kid. I did a tap class at a community center. And but early on, you know, I, I, I didn't I didn't do dance in a very serious way. And I had the fortune of my like sort of formative dance experiences also being kind of experiences in community. I was a part of like, you know, a, a youth dance company, you know, where I had a I had a teacher who, you know, taught us as, you know, like awkward teenage women uh, to do contact and, and that sort of thing. So I had the experience of an ensemble. So when I sort of, you know, decided to uh, pursue dance, it was always sort of like with an idea of or, or an experience of dance as also something that, you know, created connection and human to human connection. So I pursued dance. I, uh, as Harmony said, I, I also uh, lived in Alberta for, for 10 years on Treaty 7 territory in, in Calgary, where I did, you know, an undergrad in contemporary dance and, and sort of established, you know, myself in that, in that way. Um, and always in, in interest in choreography and in, in making dances as well as you know, being a performer, but sort of all along, like alongside this sort of track, this very sort of typical professional dance pursuit was always, uh, you know, a sort of teaching practice or interest in, in, in work with, with people (laughs) dance, you know, I always taught dance in, uh, to non-professionals, to kids, um, you know, marginalized folks. I, I worked with older adults and, and I worked for a number of years, really just as a gig, um, with a company in Calgary that, that doesn't exist anymore, but was called Momo Dance Theater. Uh, that was also a mixed ability dance company that worked with folks with and without disabilities. And I sort of like, you know, for many years thought of that work as kind of like on a different different realm from like my high art professional doing plies and tendus kind of dance work that they were totally separate and you know over the past 10 years that work you know has that that's really not the way I think about it anymore so I I moved to um Musqueam Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh territory in 2013 showed up here what do you know Vancouver does not need another white cisgendered able-bodied contemporary dancer. So I needed a place for myself in this community. And I had the good fortune of meeting a dear friend and colleague of both Harmony and I's, uh, Sarah Bourne, uh, who used to go by Sarah Lapp, and uh, who is a, a dancer and a wheelchair user also. And she and I, along with uh, our colleague, Murray Rossner, you know, wrote at a Canada Council grant to do a project that would, you know, be a space for for folks with and without disabilities to do dance together. And, you know, at the time, I sort of thought of that as like, you know, I need a gig. What is something I can offer this community? What is something I have experience with? And that was eight years ago. And, you know, it, it, uh, it was not at all what I thought would be sort of what has become my really like artistic practice and has really shifted the way that I think of, you know, like all the kind of hierarchical ideas that I had about, you know, typical thin white bodies doing really spectacular dance moves, that being the ultimate art and this sort of community art being this other thing on the side. Now it, I, I don't see it as any difference at all. And the way I think about my artistic work is that, you know, if there are people who have been trained for 25 years who are like, you know, if Crystal Pite was in the room or if, you know, a wheelchair user who had never, ever, ever danced before was in the room, I probably would work in the same way or at least hypothetically. And, uh, Yes, I think that's really important. Thanks for that, both of you. But I think what's what I'm hearing from this is this idea of not only a gig, like looking for a gig, but looking for a way to practice that you feel like you can invest in. And I think there's something about, you know, the language we use around that can be, you know, not to say you're being self-deprecating, Naomi, I'm the queen of it, but but the, but the idea that, oh, I'm looking for a gig is actually more deeply rooted in, I'm looking for a kind of practice that I can, that goes beyond a gig, actually. You know, I go for, you know, you're looking, they're looking for a place and positioning is looking for a, a place to invest in practice. And that world, sometimes the other world, as you were saying, that division of it sometimes can feel a little so exclusive that you don't, you know, feel like you have access to that world, even, even though you're trained for it to a certain degree. So I find that fascinating, that institutionalized model. And I feel like from what both of you have said, it's like this, how many, when you said about to be able to move better in a chair, 
I think that's going to stick with me for a long time because that to me goes way beyond dance and way beyond like it's a it's an integrated that's perfectly a perfect example of an integrated practice you know like how it informs you as a practitioner and as a human being to find a way to maneuver in the world you know I I just think that's so exciting to me all of that so I'd love to then just bring it to um, all bodies dance project and I purposefully today didn't introduce you in the way that the text that I've been given to describe the company and the text you use which is on your website because in doing this podcast a little bit I felt like that can be a bit of a trap for me in terms of allowing the conversation to go somewhere else and that information is available for people so if they go to your website they go to the dance center they can find that that kind of factual information that you you yourselves report in your documentation but i would love in your own words and now to just like for you to talk a little bit about who all bodies dance project is why it exists and how it exists and to give you some freedom as well for you to kind of like feel like you can leave your mandate a little bit maybe if you uh, if you want to um in this situation Totally. I'll take this one first and then Harmony can fill in all the gaps of things I forgot. But I I really appreciate that invitation, Claire, because yeah, we end up saying all of our little taglines. And I think like in the gray areas is really where the work is. And the timing of this particular question, like, you know, we've had a way that we've described our work in grants and on websites and stuff like that. And as I said, you know, this is sort of like our eighth year. We're, we're really actually trying to figure out and our renew our identity in a certain way. And and so, you know, who we are and what we're doing is really in the air right now in our sort of, you know, maybe midlife, maybe teenage life crisis or, you know, our organizational Saturn returns. But when we started, you know, like as I as I said, like the idea and the way we used to talk about it was, you know, all bodies dance project is a place brings together artists with and without disabilities. And that is certainly still true. You know, our work is really about the meeting of people with different experiences. And disability is certainly a lot of that. But what we've sort of like, you know, come to realize and and, and was clear from the very first session that we ever ran, you know, who showed up in the room, that the binary of disabled and non-disabled artists or non-disabled and disabled people uh, really didn't capture the full, like, kind of beautiful complexity of who people were and the kind of mix of identities that people were bringing with them. And our work is authored and 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 practiced by people from, like, a pretty wide range of ages. There's a lot of older adults and elders in our work, people of a real wide range of body shapes and sizes and embodiments of, you know, neurodiversity and uh, genders, lots of folks from LGBTQ, 2IA+, 2S plus uh, identities, socioeconomic backgrounds, and of course, you know, the mix of of folks who are, we call, say, sort of seated uh, dancers, folks who are wheelchair users and standing dancers. And a lot of that is totally invisible. We have no idea. And so now we're kind of trying to figure out how to describe that in a way that feels honest and representative of, of who's actually in the work, as well as what is can be seen. Because there's a lot of times where a room might look like it's a room full of typical bodies. And we don't actually know what identities people hold or what experiences people hold. And and so we and we never ask because it's not important. You know, the question we ask of people when they show up to dance with us is what do we need to know about you in order to dance with you? And so people make that choice. And so it may be something about what they ate for lunch or it may be something about, you know, the the mobility device they use. Yeah. And so. Anyways, Harmony can fill in <laughs> this yeah, stuff, but it, yeah. but it, it's a really, and as you can tell by the amount I'm blabbing about it, it's a really, we're, we're in a, we're in a moment of trying to figure out how to talk about our work. So, yeah. I think there's always been a sense of everybody bringing their own thing to the work. So in any community performance or even in any community class improvisation, everybody brings all of the stuff that came before. So maybe if they have had a long life and they've lived in a different country or they've come from a different experience, all of that comes with them. Or if you have a disability or if you've traversed disabilities and your body changes, all of that comes to the room. And the way that it meets with other dancers and other dancers' experiences 
always comes out in such a beautiful unfolding and a beautiful like relationship that is just one of the reasons people keep coming back to class. One of the reasons I love to teach is to witness these relationships and hopefully maybe there will be words to really describe it in a succinct way but it's just watching those relationships unfold that I think is the true beauty of what all bodies dance is. Yeah. It feels like there's the witnessing side and then there's the the surprise of finding oneself in that type of relationship as well that I think there may be a more formalist kind of expectation of coming in and we're going to do this idea and it's this is where it's happening spatially and all of those things kind of purposefully take away <laughs> so that the surprise elements are like not going to affect. Um, but I feel like that in witnessing those relationships, there's obviously a kind of, it's almost like they have to be witnessed and experienced by the people doing them at the same time. That's what I find so exciting about, you know, that kind of space. Yeah, Naomi, you're going to add to that. No, I just, what, what, what Harmony was sort of describing is, you know, one of the, the things that's like sort of basic to our work is, is that people don't leave their sort of true selves at the door. And that's sort of something, you know, in like my own kind of coming to this as my full artistic practice, you know, there was something that I was taught and very instilled in me as a typical professional dance artist about like, you know, you kind of leave your shit at the door, you know, like you come into the studio and you work and the bad day or the like sore back or like the, whatever it is kind of like you leave that there. And our work, really consciously like kind of straddles between what you know was community dance and professional dance in that we don't ask people to leave all of that that actually all of that stuff is like I mean it's certainly useful sometimes to leave some of our bad moods at the door but it's also like it is the material of of our different experiences and that you know is kind of a relief <laughs> in many ways after after being in professional worlds or that there just is a different expectation to be like, well, yeah, you can be a person in, in the dancing space. And yeah, so what, you know, just reminding Harmony, the way you spoke about it just reminded me about uh, the prioritizing in our work. I mean, we run, we run free community classes and the people in those classes are both professional artists who have this huge, you know, long history of what being in a dance space are or is. And then there are people for whom like coming into the room, they have no concept of like this whole history and protocol of dance world. And I say that in, you know, quotations. And so the, you know, the meeting of people with those different kind of associations with what dance is, 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 um, yeah, is where the surprise is, as you say, Claire, you know, like, yeah. Where do you, where do you practice usually? Like which spaces do you use? I mean, you use the dance center, but not always, I know. So yeah. What are your other spaces in town? Where can people join you? <laughs> so I don't know our exact schedule right now, but I know that we work out of the Roundhouse Community Center, the Trout Lake Community Center. Um, Roundhouse usually on Saturdays. Our youth group also works out of the Roundhouse on Sundays. We'll be starting up again with that in the spring. And in previous years, we've worked out of Sunset Community Center. And then more recently, we've developed a relationship with Carnegie where we offer classes. And I think we've had a relationship with the gathering place where we've done rehearsal spaces there. So it's really, it really is a relationship with the community and community spaces that has built our work. Yeah. And those like spaces, I mean, you know, we're the difference also, you know, in, in working at somewhere like the dance center versus working somewhere like, you know, Carnegie Community Center is like putting our practice in a place where people are, as opposed to a place where only artists are, um, and kind of like shifting between these different sort of cultures of what the associations between, you know, like what is an art space versus what is, you know, a community space. And of course, all of our considerations of accessibility play into that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's what I think is, uh, it's, important to know how many spaces are available community centers particularly are available for you to be able to do this but and that you feel that those uh, hopefully you feel those spaces are conducive for what you're doing and and it seems like you know very much so 
could I just uh, ask you where you think All Bodies Dance Project's position is in Canada? And, and I ask you this partly because I know Kanduko from England and uh, worked with them in the 90s. And Adam Benjamin, who you know started that company, um, is a professional dance artist with a professional dance career. And in the same way that you're saying, Naomi would not um, separate his work you know, with Fog Kanduko and the artwork that's made from his other work it's separated in terms of venue perhaps and the people who are involved but as a philosophy it kind of oversees everything but there's something about having Kanduko holding a position in England for me in my history of making sure that this was visible that this was um, explicitly about able-bodied at the time and disabled-bodied you know like the, the, the disability and abilities and also to be able to present in professional venues. And so a lot of the time that I saw Kanduko, I saw them in theatres. I saw them at the Place Theatre in London. I saw them at the Southbank Centre. I saw them in these places that were professional theatre venues. And that's made a big impact on me in terms of how I understand it. So I also see all bodies doing the same thing and where you choose to present and the fact that you have a show coming up in uh, the Dance Centre programming and all of those things. So could you talk a little bit about that, but also on a national level? Yeah, I think Harmony and I will fight over who has more to say about yeah. this one. But you'll have yeah. to relay. You'll have to like. You'll have to <laughs> totally. I mean, pass, pass the baton totally. <laughs> back and forth. <laughs> I mean, Kanduko and I would you know put sort of companies like Axis Dance, which is based in, in California, sort of in the same category. I mean, there's lots of companies like that that have long histories. Like, yeah, they were really you know working at an at a time before, you know, this work was sort of visible in Canada, right? This kind of in integrated dance. And I don't know if I'd compare our work with theirs. I mean, in many ways, you know, that's a lineage and that's a, a sort of history. But those were those companies work in very traditional dance company ways. And their work is also very virtuosic <laughs> and and really incredible and beautiful and skillful. But those dancers are training in, in a cult, from what I know, of course, uh, training in a way that is in the culture of the typical dance world that comes from classical ballet in many ways. You know, they're doing technique class and they're doing this and there's an artistic director and performing in those venues, as you say. And the work is spectacular. Not to say that our work isn't spectacular. No, but you almost mean it like in yeah. like with quotation marks around of it, course. right? And exactly. then, you know, with in my world, like in brackets underneath it, what's spectacular and, you know, exactly. how people we refer to that word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many? Jump in. I just want to jump in because one of the things about being skillful and virtuosic is that they're pushing their dancers, their disabled dancers, to their full limit. They're having to work like healthy, fully able dance artists, when when you have a body that has so many different complexities, you're not allowed to say, today's a day where I just want to witness, or today I'm feeling this way. It's, it's not a safe space for feeling not good. You have to push yourself. And I have met a few post-Kanduko dancers who have burnt out and have had to learn their practice in a different way that situates care before ability and I think the thing that separates all bodies is that we've always worked in that way we've always situated care before we situated skill and virtuosity and we've recognized the skill the natural skill that people come with natural histories from their lived experience and we recognize all of that so I think all bodies is doing really important work that few organizations, I'm not just in Canada, but across the continent have been working in and some are starting to pick up that practice or build them into already traditional physically integrated spaces where they have been pushing their dancers, pushing them too hard. I think in Canada, while we haven't done much traveling yet across Canada, we have been in conversations with other companies and we're learning from them, they're learning from us. And I would say we are, yeah, the, those conversations are what's helping create this beautiful, complex, disabled, non-disabled 
everything mosaic of dance in Canada. Yeah. And I think we separate like, you know, the, the tradition of Kanduko and Axis, like those are, as Harmony said, like those are physically integrated dance companies. Like there aren't neurodivergent folks working in there. You know, there aren't folks with cognitive disabilities in those companies. So those are like very um, exceptional bodies both physical, both disabled and non-disabled, you know? Yeah. And, and so those practices follow those, you know, sort of traditions of, of really physical practices and not to say that our work isn't, but I think that by the very fact of who has showed up, I just think about the very first community class we ever ran and who showed up in that room determined the way we worked. And there were folks in that room that, you know, like weren't, and we've never done, you know, follow along plies tendus like that hasn't been we're not working in technique in that way we're because we've our practice is really situated in improvisation and and in, in choreographic development that like we're not working with an idea of training again in quotes that comes from you know a classical dance sort of uh, tradition. And like, we're in a moment now, you know, or we have been in a while where, you know, like institutions like Canada Council and stuff like that are, are reckoning with how to account for the fact that, you know, many of their definitions of professional artists and professional practice have been based on this really Western colonized idea of what art training is. You go to an institution, you get a degree, da, 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 da. And lots of people in our community haven't had access to that training, nor has that training maybe been relevant to them, you know, in the same as, you know, Indigenous artists, you're not going to go to a degree necessarily for four years in carving to be an expert. And so, and like, where's the place for someone, you know, to join uh, a professional artistic practice at 46? They're not going to go back to university of, like I did, you know, at, at 19 kind of thing. So how do also make a place for like, well, what is professional training? And I think what's really cool about the kind of practice that we're doing right now, and lots of our colleagues in Canada are doing is we're making the training at the same time that we're making the work. And so while like I was trained with this idea that like, you know, Martha Graham, it takes 10 years to train a dancer, to become an artist, da, da, da. you have to train for 10,000 hours before you can have something to say as an artist. That's not true in our work. You know, like you can be, an expert the minute you start dancing in our work. You know, you have something to say as an artist the minute you start moving. But anyways, the question was about <laughs> It's a commitment to expressing creatively, isn't it? It's a commitment to an investment in that side of yourself and in a social situation. And it's us challenging these kind of ideas of like, professionalism and high art and what is art that has value and this kind of separation between or this kind of investment in dance being really palatable because it's spectacle. You know, like yeah. I feel like this in typical, you know, contemporary dance, there's always this of like, you know, bigger, faster, higher jumps, like the way that, you know, we love that audiences, it's really comfortable to watch moving bodies when they do spectacular things. And maybe it's, there isn't as much practice at audiencing. I say that as a verb, you know, especially disabled bodies that don't, we don't see on stage very often doing things that are deeply embodied, but maybe subtle and aren't fancy tricks, you know, like, yeah, it's great to see someone doing a really awesome wheelie like Harmony can do for days and days and days, but like to watch somebody move in a way that is really expressive and subtle. Yeah. That's, that's always been my thing too. I just want to say that I, I, I feel like what's happening a little bit in England from what I've been reading. And I know some people who run um, community organizations and actually what's happening now with companies like Kanduko is that they are collaborating with more community oriented um, people, because I think they feel that same, they feel the, the trap of feel trapped by this kind of, you know, professional thing. And I think we all do to a certain degree and, yeah. you know, in our time, we've all had to adjust and adapt and consider other ways of presenting work. And totally. some people are ahead of, some people are ahead of, you know, that kind of yeah. presentation model because they've been working in a different way for a, a while. But I'm also really interested in this, in the smaller scale or in the, in the idea that expression has, is on a spectrum, yeah. you know, like, and that, and that creative work and it's, it's expression as in kind of explicitly like legible, parts of the expression like the visible components of it uh, can be so tiny and it's a matter of attention you know and a matter of like an audience's attention on those components but I'm going to lead us into this idea of relaxed performance a little bit because 
I think that relationship between the audience, audience's ability to engage with the work and then engaging with a different kind of work is a lovely way of bringing in the idea of community, both as audience and as performers, if you like, or the people being watched. Uh, and also to talk a little bit about that, uh, that notion of relaxed performance and what you think that... So two things, it's, it's two-layered for me. One, it's connected to the work you're doing potentially, and is that your audience, and is it also a mix? Uh, are you hoping that it will be more that way? And the other way is, what do you feel about the kind of traditional theatrical environment? Do you think that will ever be conducive for a relaxed performance um, situation? Like, so those two, your work, and then what you feel about relaxed performance for the wider um, idea of watching dance in general, stage dance in general. Who wants to take it? How many? Ooh, Go. Sending it my <laughs> way. Um, no, it's really interesting, the idea of relaxed performance. I have a friend who's working in London right now for smaller theater companies building relaxed performance spaces and what relaxed performance is. And I don't think as a company, we've really like gone into the educational part of like meeting every single need. But there is something about creating space and creating care for audience audiences and what they're audiencing that we've started to develop with All Bodies. It started when we worked on our translations project, which Naomi can talk more about. But we, as a dancer, I met an audience member. I introduced myself. I guided them into a space. They were my person to anchor myself to, for them to anchor themselves to, because they were wearing sleep shades or experiencing it with their non-visual senses. So having somebody to anchor to was really special. And then I led them out. So we found it was so profound, the work of just caring for an audience member and creating space and just the reactions of the audience members for that care that was taken with them. So we've continued that into our work. And I think even as an individual artist, I've been thinking about how do I care for audiences and when is it appropriate to create a space of care or to not create a space of care? For example, I did a Vines show. There was no, it was already outside. People were able to witness it in a way that felt good to them already. As a performer, there was nothing else I could do for our particular show that would invite them in other than really just softening our way, uh, softening the beginning and the ending to allow the audience to really absorb what we were doing. So I think it's just in the back of my mind now how to care for the audience and what, and thinking about what is the audience seeing and how are they audiencing. Great. It's in partnership with festivals too, right? In that yeah. example that you just gave with, with Vines, it's very much yeah. in partnership with with how they established that those parameters with the outdoors and all of those things to invite that. So yeah, that's nice. Yeah, Naomi. The relax the relaxed performance thing. Yeah, like I mean, there's there was a lot of investment. Like the British yeah. Council paid for all this sort of training to come to Canada. There are a number of institutions that have done this kind of training around relaxed performance, and it, you know, it's. I, I did part of the training. Like it's it's very specific to folks to to creating spaces that are accessible to folks who are on the spectrum or sensory stuff, and and it yeah Harmony is correct. Like we haven't. It's not something we have fully committed to because in reality we haven't had a lot of performances where it made sense. And also being honest about about we haven't made really strong connections with audience members from an. The autism community, and so not uh, putting a lot, putting efforts into sort of the performance of accessibility when it isn't paired with also the genuine outreach. And so the project that that Harmony was talking about, really, um, this was you know probably the biggest project that we've done in all bodies. We it's called Translations, and we researched this piece for over two years before it um, premiered. And we worked alongside a, a an, an organization called Vocal Eye that um, does live description uh, for folks who are blind or partially sighted in Vancouver. And we research with uh, with consultants who are blind, and yeah. we created this performance that is accessed by we say the non visual senses. So it's accessible to people who are blind or sighted, um, but everybody's experiencing it without without vision. 
as Harmony described, like the the piece is really a design that every audience member gets a lot of attention because they are guided through the performance. And in making this show, it was a profound shift in our company in thinking about who who is our audience, who could be our audience, and how could we make performances in a way that the actual content was was created with accessibility tools in mind. So rather than this thing of like creating a show and then hiring an ASL interpreter or hiring someone to describe it, or then making a version where the the lights and the sound are quieter in order to make it, you know, work in a more relaxed context after the show, what, like, how could we create um, dance in a way that like the accessibility stuff was like fully embedded. So it couldn't exist without the description. And that like really shifted our way of thinking about, and I'll, you know, just be totally honest, like for me and in, in my role in sort of directing that piece, it shifted my way of thinking about I'm not creating dance for me and my way of perceiving dance, but actually choreographing for a potential audience member that has a completely different way of perceiving. And I know it sounds really simple, but it's like that really self-centered way that like we're all the centers of our own universe and I always have approached making dance to satisfy my needs and interest and desires and my lived experience. But thinking about how we as a company could make work in a way that would like take someone who is blind or someone who has lived experience of disability or someone who is neurodivergent as the kind of neutral as opposed to thinking of my particular embodiment as neutral and harmonies as the exception or the thing that has to be accommodated. So like actually, or conversely working in the idea that like there actually is no neutral and you know, like I think nowadays everybody's sort of scrambling and trying to, you know, check boxes around accessibility and da 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 da. And there's so much of this kind of like slap an ASL interpreter on it and da 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 this. And at, without without that being paired with, is the content of your art actually relevant to folks in that community? And there's a lot of, you know, kind of reaching towards this kind of idea of like universal access, like, okay, we'll make audio description, we'll make ASL interpreted, we'll make relaxed performance. And it doesn't actually exist. A lot of these things are contradictory. You know, the needs of a, of, you know, an ASL speaker is different than the needs of someone who are neurodivergent. And these can't, they can't all work at the same time, you know, despite the sort of like beautiful image that I think sometimes people are aiming for. And, and so I see, and, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out like a lot of, you know, with our colleagues in, in the arts community right now, a lot of kind of performance of access that um, is coming from a really good place. But I see it as, you know, like the the kind of accessibility stuff being layered on at the end uh, without really thinking about that being paired with the community development piece of like, who actually is your audience? And is there anything in the work that actually speaks to deaf, deaf community or deaf culture? Or is there actually something in the content that, you know, why should blind people care about your dance? You know, for example, it's a bit of my soapbox. Yeah, it's a I lot of my soapbox. I think that's sorry, really... But... Um... A healthy position to talk from and to also because there's something about the the pressures on companies that say they're inclusive and diverse and integrated and all of these things to be the people who do all of this you know and of course it's a kind of it's a societal responsibility and it's an it's a you know it requires a systemic shift that isn't down to you know, one company or down to one sector, you know, at all. So I think that's, I think that's a beautiful way to um, kind of open up that, to debate that. And also to, there are two things, there's the kind of the creating care and situating the care. And then also this idea, I love audiencing, like just this kind of, I think those terms together just speak volumes about a kind of alternative virtuosity, if you like, and, and the need for developing skills that aren't, those skills need to be developed, that environment needs to be cultivated, um, you know, that kind of investment and attention needs to be kind of um, cultivated. And, and that's what you're doing and talking about. So just a couple of more questions, I mean, we could go on for forever, but we'll just have to do another one. So but for this, how do you think you've been received? Uh, I think, uh, however, you want to talk about that locally, nationally, internationally, your personal responses to that. And, and then I'll just throw in 
how you've stayed connected and creative during the pandemic period, because I think they may or may not roll into each other, but I'd love to know if that was a, that you were able to do that as a company through COVID and that's the shift, those kinds of things. So I feel for me, they're related, but um, take them on as you will. Okay. <laughs> how many do you want to start? Yeah, I, I'm going to say straight up, I don't know how we've been received. I know that I will meet someone such as yourself that says, I know you through your work or I know you through your films. And I'm like, oh, I hope that's a good thing. But I think <laughs> the fact that I am more known than I realize and people recognize the name All Bodies, that we are becoming well-received. I don't know if we're well-known in the States or internationally, I know with translations, there was an opportunity for potentially some conversations and explorations and then COVID hit. So this is where this ties in of we had to rethink our processes. And one of the things we did after about six months of COVID is we met on a rooftop. <laughs> and did a whole work on a rooftop after a year. But I think that initial meeting and that initial working together really was a coming together as an ensemble, trying to think about how moving together is in this new reality. And that was like another process of care that our company did is we took the time for us to figure that out as individuals, as a company, to meet on a really sunny rooftop that became a really cold rooftop that I remember dancing in like minus five. We ran off to the rooftop and we're like five minutes. Okay, running back downstairs, running back on the rooftop and decided that maybe we we're going to take a break until the weather warmed up a little bit. And then when we finally did a performance, it was like plus 45 and we were like, okay, now we can't perform. So um, definitely struggles with dancing on a rooftop, but some joys of connecting with each other and finding what's really important as a company and really rethinking what is performance without touch because translations relied so much on touch and connection. So what is performance and what is connection in different spaces? How are we connected to the land? How are we connected to spaces? And I think every new discovery is going to be carried into every new piece that we do and maybe even reflected in old pieces that we revisit. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a good question. I feel like, you know, now is like a real time of <laughs> reflection on how we've, we've changed, uh, you know, how, how the past two years of pandemic has really, really changed us. And, and, uh, you know, as individuals and also like certainly as an organization. And I think like, you know, the question of how we're received, like, you know, it brings up the, it brings up kind of like my old paradigm of how I thought of like what success is in the dance world or in the art world, you know, and like how it kind of still looms there about like, you know, is success measured in the number of grant dollars or the amount of touring opportunities or the amount of bums and seats, you know, like that kind of thing and bigger, better, like that being success. And I think what like the combination of, Trans, the translations project, which we premiered right before COVID and the impacts of COVID have really like shifted, I think, both for me personally and, and I think as an organization, this and, you know, largely culturally thinking about the value of like sort of quality over quantity and like intimacy and like, you know, performing for small audiences in, in, in translations, we only had audiences of 10 people at a time. And in COVID, we did performances for 10 people on this rooftop uh, outdoors and kind of shifting our, our thinking about, but if those are 10 people that have a really meaningful experience, or if those are 10 specific people that may not have been able to access dance, rather than them being random people who spent lots of money on tickets or da, 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 da. But if those are 10 people who will take the learning or take the experience and somehow in the, you know, ripple effect of, you know, the world share some meaning out of that, then that's really like the sign of success for us. And yeah, I think that that has, I think that's really changed us. And I think that's really changed a lot of the art world. I don't think this idea of touring, you know, is sort of, I think local is, uh, is, you know, kind of the way now, <laughs> you know, climate crisis and COVID and all these things sort of coinciding. And so I think we're trying to also think about like, you know, as we make work, trying to build a new audience um, so that our audience isn't necessarily like, you know, the folks who would typically go th see theater performances, 
but who might come see a performance that we're doing on a rooftop that wouldn't be able to go to a theater for reasons of accessibility or reasons for, you know, finances or reasons for just like not feeling, you know, that it's culturally a place that, you know, they feel comfortable. Yeah. So I, I kind of think those things are, yeah, they are intertwined in this moment of being like, well, who are we actually making work for? Yeah. And I think success at this point is being able to continue to create work and have people show up to dance with you. Right. At this point, totally. that's what success looks like. And that's, and that's, and that's amazing. Doing anything to be successful for artists to feel like you can be creative is, has to be yeah. one measure of success in our current climate. I totally. would love to know a little bit about what's now, what's next, uh, where we're at with that. And then that will be my last question. So um, we will finish with this idea of what's now, what's next. Well, um, I mean, we're going to do a show in a theater. What? At the um, dance center in yeah. March. <laughs> yeah. So we, we're, we're uh, you know, uh, dusting off uh, a couple of pieces that are have been on the works um, and uh, a, a piece that Harmony uh, created that was created a number of years ago that I think will be newly imagined in this new world and new bodies. <laughs> Yeah. So March 24th. Yeah. At the dance center um, where we're doing the Discover Dance series. And uh, we're going to present um, a mixed uh, a mixed program of, of live pieces and and also show two of our dance films. And uh, the, the pieces are both the live pieces are both duets with created and performed by longtime members of our of our company. And the the films are both ones that kind of speak to COVID in a certain way without being COVID art. Um, but one of them is a is um, a community project that we that we made during pandemic, and it's called Near Far, and it was created all online um, uh, through a process where there's I think eight contributors who are all. Um, part of our community who participated, they met weekly online with little sort of assignments. And then they went and and, and filmed themselves. And then the work uh, was all submitted. And um, we worked with our collaborator, Gemma Crow, um, and who created a film out of it. And it kind of what I love about uh, Near Far is that it captures a really specific moment. Um, and it captures also a really specific moment in our community and people in their homes. Um, and then the other dance film, it is also an outdoor. It was shot outdoors. Harmony is also in it and created it called Sanctuary. Um, and while it was created before pandemic, you know, it, it, it's dancing in the out, outdoors, which has different meaning now than it did before. And uh, yeah, so the program is, you know, it's, it, it, I think it's representative of our work, of us as, uh, as a company, the kind of like mix of our aesthetics, you know, our works are authored by lots of different people, um, but somehow connected in, you know, we sort of think that there may be our aesthetic, aesthetic ties and overlaps, even though the works are made by lots of different artists who come from different perspectives. Yeah. And being in a theater feels like, whoa, uh, going to be cool and interesting and scary and all of those things. So yeah, so that's the, that's the most immediate um, thing. Harmony, are you working on something um, independently of all bodies at the moment as well? Yeah, I have a few projects in the works right now. I, as well as I'm teaching a lot, I recently got hired by Real Wheels Acting Academy to teach a movement class, which I'm really excited about. But I'm envisioning this project that I don't want to say a lot about, but it's about the disabled experience in how we experience falling and what falling means to us and in our own body. And like, it's a glimmer and I can't wait to find bodies and experiences and really start working on the project and seeing what it can be. Yeah, there's so much potential there, but I don't want to say more because nothing's confirmed. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Yeah, totally exactly. understand that uh, moment of not wanting well, to also, say it I in think, the world yeah, and jinx you it. Don't, you don't want to hold yourself yeah. to, you know, an idea too much either, right? Because we can get trapped yeah. by our own, uh, you know, to kill our darlings, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that's where the art comes. Yeah. So many times yeah. you work with an idea and the next thing you know, yeah. what comes out of it is something completely different, absolutely special, but completely different. And one of those works for me was In Flat, which will be showing um, on stage in a theater. And it's completely different than what my original idea was that I don't even remember. Oh, that's beautiful. And that's what we'll yeah. see in March. Yeah. Okay. That's wonderful. Well, we are talking in February. 
but this podcast will be going out just before the show. So in March. So I'm excited about the fact that we um, just ended with that. So make sure that you get your tickets if it's not already sold out by then you know, success. <laughs> so we talk about, well, and also, but what's beautiful as well is that we now have um, the restrictions are being lifted. So more people will be able to see it and you'll be at that, at the peak of the, the time as we're coming out the other side of this, um, you know, let's see what happens, but it feels kind of such a great way to celebrate that um, and to bring all of that you know, together and invite people into the space to be like experiencing this with you. I think will be really great. Okay, so we will leave it there. But I want to thank you so much for your time and this conversation. And I look forward to more, to seeing more work, to meeting you um, in person, Harmony, <laughs> soon. And yeah, and Naomi, to see you again um, live, as they say, and in the flesh. But otherwise, yeah, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. And I know we'll we'll talk again. Oh, thank you, Claire. Thank you for making space for me Love to, it. you know, it's ramp so all of my soapbox it's things. It's so good. It's, you know, yeah, we need airtime, airtime. airspace. Woo. Yeah, thank <laughs> you so much. And thank you so much for the care and the conversations around care and the genuine conversations around care that I think we, you know, are actually also intrinsic to how you work, but how you talk. And and I think there, I think there are things that we need to have integrated into our conversations more in the dance world, and I think it's happening. But I just want to thank you for that. Thank you, so, Claire. Okay. I look forward Great. to many more conversations. Have a lovely day. Yes, there will be many more. I already have like three in my mind. I will be emailing you <laughs> some little things and connections. So yeah, that's wonderful. Thanks. Thank have a lovely day. Bye. Thanks. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts, as this will help other listeners find us and help us to grow our dance audience. We'll be back next month. In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook at The Dance Center, Twitter at Dance Center, and Instagram at The Dance Center BC. And if you'd like to support our work, please consider making a donation. Just go to our website at thedancecenter.ca where you'll find extensive information about our upcoming programs and events. The music for the Dance Centre podcast was composed by James B. Maxwell. Always a pleasure to connect with you through dance. Until next time. Mm-hmm.